following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Amen. Thanks, Becky. If you would, uh, open up your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 9 is where we're going to be at. We are gearing up for Easter uh, and having the opportunity to uh, just see Jesus kind of um, come full circle. Fourth and fifth graders, you are dismissed. Mark, chapter 9. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament. The New Testament is in the middle, essentially, of your Bible. Old Testament and the New Testament. If you can't find anything, you go to the table of contents, and if your neighbor looks at you funny, you just give them kind of a funny look back. If you don't know, then you find it, and that's okay. Mark chapter 9. Those of you that have parents will understand this, um, because all of you should, right? See if you're with me here. My dad is the king of this. He used to tell me this all the time when I was growing up. He said, Jordan... When you get older, you will understand. Did you ever get that? I mean, it was like an everyday thing there for a while. I would come home, and he would look at me, and I would say something completely uh, without any wisdom. And he would say, Jordan, when you get older, you will understand. And I thought, Dad, you are crazy, right? I mean, have you guys ever thought that? I said, I don't know who you think you are, but I am 17, and I know everything. Boy, was I wrong. When you get older, you'll understand. What, what were some of those things? Dad, you say, when you get older, you'll understand how important it was to pick good friends or find the right job. Or he would tell me this all the time. Jordan, when you get older, you'll understand how important it is to follow Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever told you that? We get to Mark chapter 9, and Christ's words are tricky here in the text. Man, he says some interesting things. And sometimes when Jesus speaks, I kind of just cock my head like a little puppy and go, wait, what? What'd you say? And here's one of those spots. For example, in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, it looks like Jesus promised his disciples that they wouldn't physically die until he comes back again. That's what we think, he says. When we look at the verse a little bit further, we're going to realize something. And the disciples didn't fully understand, but as they got older, they would. The more they kept their eyes on Christ and faithfully followed him, the more they would see how important it was to keep their eyes on Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 1 with me here this morning. He says to them, who's he? You got it. Jesus says to them, who's them? The disciples, he says to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. I have a question mark after that verse. I put that question mark probably a few years ago, and now it's starting to make a little bit more sense. It's funny when you come back and you write in your Bibles, you'll come back a few few years later and you'll look there and you'll go, man, wow, I didn't see that. And that's the fun of the text. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Who did he take with him? Peter, James, and John. Now, some people say Jesus doesn't play favorites, and I don't think he does either. But he definitely has some best friends. 
And those are those guys. And he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, interesting word, before them. And his clothes became radiantly, radiant, intense white, as no one on earth could bleach them. No Clorox existed to make them that white. He says, and no one on earth could bleach them. That's verse 1 through 3. Keep going. <clears throat> verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Wait, I thought Elijah and Moses were dead. Well, Moses says Elijah got taken up in a chariot. I don't know if you know that story or not. And they were talking with Jesus. Five, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, which means anybody know? Teacher. Peter, you're a funny guy. I resonate with you. It is good that we are here. Let's make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. You ever spoke out of just straight fear? What's happening here? And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. You listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him, but it was only Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is a good text. It's got a lot of application in our lives. Help us to understand it. Speak to us in a way where we could take this home with us and yield to it and live it out. Your words, not mine. All God's people said, amen. If you're taking notes with me this morning, the first thing that we see in Mark chapter 9, verse 1 through 8, is Christ is going to display his glory. Write that down. Christ's glory is about to be displayed. It's about to be displayed. Go to verses 1 through 4, and we're going to teach a lot today. And hopefully we're going to make some application here too as well. But there's a lot of teaching here. Only days after Jesus' prediction of the disciples not tasting death, he takes with him Peter, James, and John, and they're going to witness this revelation of God's kingdom and his coming. Now Jesus is going to choose a high mountain. A high mountain is interesting because we know that God uses high mountains in a lot of other places. If you were to go back and look at the stories that you learned from Sunday school, or maybe if you talk to your kids who are in some of our children's program, you would see that they're learning about stories on where things happen in high mountains, where God is using his people to show himself to them. And he's going to do the same thing here. He's going to have a revelation, and it's parallel to God's earlier revelations to Moses and Elijah. You don't have this in your notes, but we know Mount Sinai was one of those high mountains. It's Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. Or 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 8. Peter writes about this moment when he says, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, we were witnesses of his majesty. Peter says, we saw the majesty or the revelation of Jesus Christ when he transfigured himself on the mountain. And we saw his glory that was going to be revealed to us and it changed our life. And those of you who have confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord... Has that moment changed your life? The moment when you met Jesus and saw him in his full glory, did it change your life? It changed Peter's. It changed John. And it changed James. Let me give you a couple of things. First thing, as we look at the text and we study it here together, we see the first thing on the transfiguration. What is he talking about there? Good question. Transfigured means to be changed into another form, all right? Kind of like going from liquid to ice, we would say. 
You're, you're taking another form. And Jesus is going to do that here as he is transfigured. For a brief time, Jesus' human body is going to be transfigured into a glorified state. The disciples are going to see it. And this is going to be the same glorified state that we will see Jesus when he comes back again, according to what the book of Revelation says. You will see exactly what the disciples saw when Jesus comes back again for his people. It was just for a moment so they could catch a glimpse of who he was. And, but when we see him in this glorified state, it will be forever, it'll be for an eternity. Now, Jesus desires that the disciples would see him in a glorified state. And they wouldn't, if we go back to verse 1, taste death until they saw that kingdom of God. The disciples saw Jesus' glorified state. And then after they saw that state, they did die. We know that. But they looked at it. They got a glimpse of what it was like to be in eternity. And those of you who know Bible history and know what happened to these disciples, they all died very painful deaths. To the point of excruciating suffering. One of them was hung upside down on a cross. Peter, if we look at it, we realize that he was married, by the way. He saw his wife die first in a painful and excruciating way. And then he died right after her. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter saw something in Jesus in that mountain. It changed his life. And he looked at it. And he said, I will never be the same. Did you know that? Are you that way? Well, then we got Elijah and Moses that are there too. Why are they there? Good question. Mark says that they're not alone. And this is, uh, takes place in a couple other gospels too as well. Moses is Israel's deliverer in the Old Testament. We know that. And Moses is always the representation of the law. The law is Genesis, come on, help me out. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and... You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. The law was there to show people how to live. They would ask God, they would say, God, how are we supposed to live on this earth? And God gave them the law. So when we see Moses in the text, we see he is there as a representation of the law. Do you get that? And so these guys would look at it and say, well, there's Moses. We see Moses. He's the lawgiver. And then we see Elijah there. Elijah was the defender of godly worship, and he represents all the Old Testament prophets. I know. And he looks at it, and Elijah, they would see him, and they would say, there's all the prophets that spoke about Jesus coming. 300 prophecies about Jesus. And here is Elijah, and they would say, you got the law over on your left, and the prophets over on your right, and you got Jesus, and he stands in the middle. Both were prominent mediators of God's rule to the nation of Israel. And when they're there, it confirmed Jesus' role as the Messiah. And God is going to speak. And he's going to say, don't look to your left. And don't look to your right. But look right straight in front of you at Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Listen to him. He will change your life forever. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, and Peter said to Jesus, Peter, you're always talking at a bad moment. Like I said, I can relate. He says, Rabbi, or good teacher, it's good that we are here. I think Jesus, it's not in the text, but looks back at him and says, no, duh. Right? 
Oh, Peter, bless your heart. Bless your heart means you're an idiot. So he looks at him and he says, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. (laughs) James and John got to be just shaking their heads. Let's do this. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I got three Columbia tents and they're all good. No, not those kind of tents. Where does he get that at? Well, let me backtrack for a second. In school, I could never grasp the concept of the importance of study. <laughs> Bethany told me this the other day. She said, you didn't study a whole lot in school, did you? I said, excuse me, I got two degrees. She said, I'm at high school, Jordan. I said, no, you're right. I didn't study a whole lot in high school. It was just, there were hard concepts to grasp my mind around. And sure enough, my dad would say, Jordan, you got to study because when you get older, you will understand. There's going to come a point in time in your life when all those things are going to flood back to you and you're going to use them in your life. And Peter and James and John, if they were listening, they would have understood how important the Old Testament was for them to understand. Because the soon, uh, the older they got, the more they would understand. Now watch this. Here it comes. Peter has a hard time understanding. And he wants to remember this experience, and honestly, he wants to prolong the experience. Some of you guys can understand. You came to know Jesus, and you thought, man, I want this to last forever. Here comes Jesus. He comes into my life, and he's going to consume me. He's going to give his whole self to me, and I feel so good right now in this moment. You got baptized. Some of you right here in front of me on this stage, and you came out of that tub, and you're like, man, I feel great. And you walked out that door, you're like, I never want this to end. That's what Peter's doing. You can't blame him, right? I, mean, I would want the same thing. So what he does is he looks at Jesus here, and in an act of desperation, he said, let's build three shelters, a different word for tent. Where does he get the three shelters? The three shelters comes from Leviticus chapter 23. They were tents or meeting booths. Peter thought the kingdom had come, so he felt it appropriate to build booths for the Feast of Tabernacles in Zechariah four, chapter 14. So what Peter's going to do is he's going to say, let's build three booths, and you're going to come, and you're going to rule, and you're going to reign, and you're going to wipe out all the bad guys and all the sin, and you're going to do massive amounts of damage. That's what you're going to do. Because the disciples still thought that Jesus was going to come, he's going to rule, and he was going to reign, and he was going to have power, and he was going to wipe out the enemy. Some of you guys are thinking, where'd you get that, Jordan? Well, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there's a story with the disciples, and they're getting a hard time from some of the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They look at Jesus, and they say, Jesus, should we call fire down from heaven to get rid of these guys? When's the last time you were standing at your workplace? And your coworker looked at you and said something you didn't like, and you go, hey, Jesus, how about we call fire down from heaven and we get rid of Ted? <laughs> and Jesus looks at the disciples. He's patient with them. He says, I don't think you truly understand my mission here. He says, not yet. When you get older, you will understand. Peter's so very, very, very immature in his faith. Christ still has to die. Peter missed the point. You keep your eyes on the Lord, Peter. But I'm terrified. Keep your eyes on the Lord, Peter. But all these things are happening. You keep your eyes on the Lord, and you do the same. Look at the application that comes. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadows them. No tents, no meeting booths. And a voice comes out of the cloud. God the Father. 
This is my beloved son. Twice now, remember the baptism? Jesus. God spoke, and here he comes again. This is my beloved son. You listen to him. That's underlined twice in my Bible and circled. You can do the same. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but only Jesus. Away goes Moses and the law. Away goes the prophets of the Old Testament. And who's left standing? It's Jesus. So what's the application? Well, the first thing is that Christ's words can be terrifying. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I open up the Bible and I read it, I'm scared to death. You mean to tell me that God is calling me to do this? Are you serious? God, I don't know if you know me or not, but I just don't know if that's possible. Do you feel like that? Christ's words are terrifying, but he reveals his revelation to us and gives us faith to believe that all things are possible and his revelation is true. Let's give you some application so you can live this out. First thing, on the cloud. The cloud that enveloped them signifies God's awesome presence. The cloud that encircles them is a representation of God's awesome presence. The presence of God is where we fix our eyes on Jesus. Are you having problems in your marriage or with your kids? Are you having problems with your job or in the workplace? Are you having problems in life in general? Maybe it's all internal. Maybe you struggle up in here. Did you know that the Bible tells you that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved? And Jesus Christ comes and he consumes us and he lives inside of us and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So no matter what place you go in life, God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And the book of Proverbs tells us it is our duty Our opportunity, not our obligation, to lean upon his understanding and not our own. Are you doing that in your life? Are you leaning upon that great cloud who has consumed you? Who has said that I will be with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will never do things to harm you. Where people fail you, God never fails you. Where people frustrate you, God will never frustrate you. Where people let you down, God will never let you down. He will come and he will consume you like this cloud. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's better than a cloud. He is the light. And the light shines in the darkness, even though the darkness doesn't understand it. But God just isn't there. He also speaks. Did you see it in the text? And there's your second thing. There's a voice. Just like in Christ's baptism, God validates his son. That's my boy. That's my boy. You listen to him. And notice Moses goes away. And Elijah goes away. And he says, you listen to him. Now, if you were unpacking that text, it doesn't say just listen to him. It says you be obedient to him. It's one thing to be consumed with the presence of Christ It's another thing to be obedient to him because of what he has done for us. You can say all you want that I'm a Christian and I've been washed in the blood and God would look at you and say, yes, that is true. But are you obedient to my words and to my son? Do you do that? Are you like that? He doesn't just say be consumed with Christ. He says, listen to what he says. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the law. And here he comes in his life and 
He is to be listened to. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 is true. Fix your eyes on Christ, follow his ways. Jesus is the new and final mediator. He is the one who's coming here forever. He is succeeding Moses and Elijah. And he is the only one who is left. Now, after the transfiguration, the disciples saw Christ and everything changes. Nothing's ever going to be the same now. I guarantee you they walked off the mountain and said one word. You want to know what it was? Whoa. Did you see that? I saw it. I saw it. Are we going crazy? No, I saw it too. Whoa. When you met Jesus Christ, did you say that? Or did you walk off the mountain and were you forever changed? We can't live the same way, guys. We can't do it. We got to live completely different. We saw the glory and the radiance of God. We saw Christ. It was awesome. And they come back down and surely they're frustrated. I thought we were going to be on that mountain forever. We were going to rule and we were going to reign like Jesus. Man, now what are we doing back on earth? I can imagine the other 12 disciples or the 12, nine disciples were like, what happened? I had to do the math there. And they were like, oh, man, you're not going to believe it. But the story continues. Watch this. Verse 9. They were coming down the mountain. They'd be coming around. That's around the mountain. Sorry. Come down the mountain. And Jesus says something that <laughs> would be so frustrating. He charged them. He commanded them. Those three, Peter, James, and John. Don't tell anybody about what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. You mean to tell me we can't tell a soul? So they kept this matter to themselves. They obeyed, questioning what the rising of the dead might mean. See, look, when you get older, you'll understand. When you get older, you'll understand. They don't get it yet. They don't understand yet. And they asked him, they look at Jesus. Well, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? And then he says to them, Elijah has to come first to restore all things. And it's written, the son of man, he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you, Elijah's come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written. What is he talking about? Let's see if we can unpack this. Disciples are dumbfounded, all right? They don't understand. Jesus gives them a command. Write this down. We need to understand this. You don't tell anyone. The command here is to be silent. Tell no one about what they had seen. Not even the other disciples. Until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Now, I think Jesus in this moment gets Peter and understands that he's got a hard time explaining things, right? He's like, listen, Peter, you're not going to do a good job unpacking what happened for these other nine disciples. You're just not going to get it. And John's a little bit quiet. And James, I mean, he's probably like, huh? And so Jesus looks at him and he says, you're going to be able to explain this better after my resurrection. He is coming again, this time for good. The secret was to be patient here. The time has come and gone. And now you can declare Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And now you can speak the things that God wants you to speak. Now let me ask you a question. What about your life? Do you live in declaration 
because you have been consumed with Jesus Christ and heard his voice through his word in the text. The command to the disciples to be quiet is ceased. And you know about the resurrection. You know about the fact that God has spoken to you. You know about the fact that Christ has consumed you. You get it. You understand it. And the question is, are we living for it? Do you live in declaration because you've been saved by the blood of Jesus? Or do you compartmentalize it just in a few areas of your life? I'm guilty of that sometimes. I do it. You do it. We do it. They compartmentalize it. I say, Jesus, you can have Sunday, but I get Monday through Saturday. And some of you guys are really good at this because I'm good at this. Jesus, you can have Sunday morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning. Friday's my day off. I don't know if you knew that or not. And Saturday, eh, maybe, and then we'll hit Sunday again. We'll go run it. And Jesus says, I don't want 75%. I want 100%. I came to do a great work in your life and change you. I'm going to change every single thing about you. I'm going to change the way you see the world. I'm going to change the way you see your spouse. I'm going to change the way you see your kids. I'm going to change the way you see your job. I'm going to change the way you see this life. You'll never be able to live the same way again when you've been consumed with Jesus Christ and heard the voice of God through his word. Did you know that? Did you know that every day when you wake up in the morning and you say, God, help me to yield to this scripture and be obedient towards it, you're putting Jesus on the throne. Did you know that? Let me give you some more application. Verse 11. When they asked him, who's him? Jesus. Why do the scribes say first Elijah must come? You don't get it. Let's talk about it. Write this down. On Elijah. The confusion of the disciples is in regards to Christ's resurrection. If Elijah had come first to prepare the nation for Jesus, and now Christ had come, why does Jesus have to die? That's what they want to know. Why does he got to die? Jesus, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We've proclaimed that. We've said that. Why do you have to die? Why can't you just rule and reign forever? Why can't you just do that? Elijah came. He prepared the way for you. We saw him on top of the mountain. Jesus, why can't you just, you don't have to die. You can just rule. Jesus says, no, 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 you have to die. The kingdom of God can't start until I die. Because Christ does two things, and here's the application. In verse 12, Jesus validates Elijah. Jesus agrees with the disciples. He says, Elijah came and did the work needed to do. But Christ knew the disciples didn't understand the need for his death. My blood will be spilled and poured out because the Old Testament says, no matter how much work Elijah did, you still miss Moses' teaching in the law, which I must die because all sin demands a blood sacrifice. You've been offering with temporary things. I'm going to give you something that will be an eternal thing. You're going to sacrifice a bull, which was temporary. I'm going to sacrifice myself, which will be permanent. Huh? Jesus, really? We need that? Yeah, you need that. Do we still need that? No. Jesus Christ is the permanent 
solution for your sins. If you confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And his blood that was shed on the cross covers all sin, past, present, and future. I'll still sin, Jordan. You better believe it. And so, therefore, we live in dependence upon the cross. And that's where we fall short. That's where we get problems. That's where we get hardships is because we failed to depend upon the cross which Jesus died and the blood that was shed for our sins. Elijah came. You got that right. But I'm coming for a substitutionary sacrifice. Now watch this. In verse 13, he's going to show some similarities on Elijah. The people rejected Elijah according to what he says. Let's read that passage. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased. They rejected him. Now, they should have seen the parallels here very clearly. You guys know that Elijah was rejected, and he was despised. They're going to do the same thing to me. They started putting the pieces together right here. The people were ruthless to Elijah. He suffered persecution in the hands of Ahab and Jezebel in 1 Kings 19. And what these antagonists did to Elijah, people hostile to God would do the same thing. And that's my question for you today. Where are you at in regards to Jesus Christ? And we asked it last week, and the question has to be asked again. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Because there's three people in the crowd. There's people who believe Jesus is the Messiah, and they've claimed him. There's people who are still a little bit tentative and on the fence and they question him. And there's people who have absolutely downright rejected him. Where are you in the crowd? Have you submitted your whole life to Jesus Christ? Are you still at the point where you're questioning maybe a little bit? Or have you flat out rejected him? It's all about Jesus Christ. And let me just be honest with you, because there's a lot of people here who have fully accepted Jesus Christ and submitted their life to him. And we want to know why we're going through hardship and why our marriages are hard and our kids are hard and why the job is hard. Are you fully 100% dependent upon Jesus Christ? In your everyday dealings, are you 100% dependent upon Jesus Christ? God, I don't think you know this, but it's going to cost me something. Yes, it is. God, I don't think you know this, but I'm going to lose some friends. You just might. God, but I could lose my job. You just might. It's all about Jesus Christ. And when you get older, as you grow in obedience to the gospel you received, you'll understand. God is calling us to be dependent disciples according to what his text says. Are you a dependent disciple? Am I a dependent disciple? Am I fully 100% dependent upon his word? Growing older and understanding more what the text says and how it is to be lived out in my everyday life. Do you get it? The more times I wake up in the morning and I look at this book and I read it and I read through it and I study it and I apply it to my everyday life, I understand how much the grace of God hits every single pocket of my life. It's like the air I breathe. It's like the water I drink. I need it. I'm dependent on it. 
And the older, more mature I get in this word, the more I understand how much and how important it is. A wise man once said, I keep getting older and the things of the world fade away. But the word of God stays fascinating. The new car gets rust on it. The new friends become old friends. The new house becomes an old house. The new toy becomes an old toy. But the word of God has never failed. It's always been fascinating. It always will be fascinating. The question is, am I dependent upon it? It's becoming more and more true every day. The older I get, the more I understand. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, the text is clear. The disciples go up, see your glory revealed, have changed their life, and come back down. The command to be silent has ceased. But now we openly declare as a church the same thing that they declared after you resurrected from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of God. If anybody doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as you sit here in this sanctuary this morning, the reason we exist as a church is to make Christ known near and far. People from all different denominations and backgrounds have gathered here this morning with yourself. People have come and they're gathered in this place. And it's not the church that you were at when you were born. And it's not the place that you grew up that defines you. It's Jesus Christ that defines you. Have you accepted him as Lord and Savior? Paul clearly outlines in the book of Romans that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Right here in the silence of the church, do that. If you've never accepted Jesus, say, God, I accept you as Lord and Savior. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I fall short, and I know I need a Savior. I need something greater than myself. I need something to daily depend on in every single area of my life. If you're at the point where you're questioning Jesus, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make yourself real to those people here who maybe aren't at the point where they're ready to believe in you. But I pray that they would get to the point in their life where they see your hand and they know that you're real and that they make that decision in the near future. And those of us who are gathered here today, God, may we search our hearts and may you search our hearts and see if there's any impurities, any ways that we are not dependent upon you, any ways that we're not living for you, areas in our life where we are being silent for the gospel, and places in our life where we're just falling down. Restore us, Father God. Change us. May we depend on you today, tomorrow, and for the future. Spur us on, Lord Jesus. Give us the ability to wake up in the morning and have a desire for your word. 
to see the power of your hand, to worship you for the things you've done in our lives that we don't deserve. We know we fall short. We understand that. And work in the areas of our shortcomings. Let us see your hand in all things. And Father God, we ask that we would yield to that word as we live it out. To help a community see Christ and make him known and accept him. We love you so much. Thank you for a great truth. In your name, amen. If you are behind on any of the um, sermon series uh, that we've been studying, Mark, we're gearing up for Easter, www.communitygospelchurch.com. You can check the media page and you'll see all the sermons leading up to it. We'd love to um, get you caught up. If you would stand with me. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.